Go ahead. Welcome, folks, to the Bayjack and Brown Hoops Up and Down podcast. This is episode seven. We have a very special guest, a Chicago musician legend, formerly a capacitor, and a legend throughout the suburb. We are joined, folks, by the great Victor Lord Riley. Victor, welcome to the Bayjack and Brown podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Is this uh, live? Is this a joke? Yeah. This is live, Victor. This is as live as it gets, <laughs> like. Like Rick Ross in Miami and Rick Daddy. All right. All the way. What have you been up to during the pandemic, Victor? I know that you've been a, before the pandemic, you got to travel a few places uh, down to Houston, Texas. You went to Indiana, Kentucky. How, how were you traveling? Uh, yeah, it was good. We, uh, I'm in a band called Salvation. We were doing a lot of touring. Um, played in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Austin, Texas. Uh, where I met one of your hometown stalwarts. Uh, but since quarantine, I've just been working uh, and just trying to keep my head down and, and, and work, earn some money. I was able to save some money and just kind of keep my mind off of the global pandemic and the, the social unrest that's happening right now. And Victor, I know that you are a, like you said, you're a stalwart in the music game. How, how do you growing up in Chicago? Did, I know you said you weren't always a great athlete in the sports, but how does that correlate maybe with the NBA and music and the NBA? And have you ever done any soundtracks? Did they ask you to do LeBron Carter do Space Jam too? Yeah, LeBron has not reached out about Space Jam two yet. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's in post production, so I'm, just, I'm still waiting on that call. But I'm definitely open to the idea. Um, you know. My cousin was uh, an excellent baller. Um, you know, I, I kind of fell short on the height gene. I think it skipped a generation, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, LeBron is familiar with with my music uh, talents, and <laughs> he can he'll be able to contact me whenever he's ready. Folks, I want to give Victor a lot of credit right now because he's actually doing this recording with the mask on, so that is even more impressive. That I don't, I don't know, he's not going to take the mask off during the recording, even though he can. By the way, Mr. Shout out to our normal special host, Bob Bajek. We are the greatest <laughs> cafe in the world that we cannot name with the best coffee and the best brand muffins of all time. Uh, this is our special edition. Our regular guest has to reschedule for Sunday. So, folks, stay tuned. I know we've been promising you all week for the, the White Smith Fort Collins edition that will come this Sunday. Uh, but we're here now with Victor Riley. Victor, how many, you know, can you tell us about how your love with music began? Well, um, you can but, take the mask off, Victor, during the recording. This is not later. This is actually happening. All right, this is happening. <laughs> you've been you've been bamboozled and set up into the world, and you're you're back in your hometown. You knew something was going to happen. <laughs> Lord, the Lord of, of the town. Oh, stop. Um, well, my uh, my mother bought me a guitar. Um, because, you know, being one of few black people growing up in Naperville, going to a private school, which my parents worked very hard to provide, um, you know, as a life for me, uh, they said I had to play an instrument, you know, to keep up with or to be twice as good as my classmates. So I picked guitar uh, because my mom was a big Prince fan and played a lot of Prince around the house. And I figured I could learn guitar pretty easily also they couldn't afford a piano. So that's how I started. I was about 12, took lessons at Naperville Music for 
uh, month, uh, had a recital, and then uh, put my guitar under my bed and didn't touch it again for three years. If it, if it wasn't the guitar, like as you got older and formed your own musical taste, what, what gravitated you towards? I know because I've seen you at many of your shows. You have many talents. You play the guitar well. I've heard, seen you get on the drums and rock out. And you've also been a lead singer uh, for many different groups. What do you think, what, what does he think it takes to have that multifaceted talent? I mean, your skill set is like like LeBron James on the basketball court. You can, you can run, dunk, shoot. And, and I've seen your various places on name, uh, but you've definitely turned the crowd out. Well, uh, you know, I just try to be as versatile as possible. Um, I think being self-taught helps there a little bit. Uh, just not being afraid to fail and just trying out as many different instruments as I can. And uh, I don't know, I feel like I was born with an inherent sense of rhythm and, uh, you know, a certain talent to, to kind of hear, hear grooves and melodies. So. And are you pretty adept, Victor, at, would you say, reading sheet music, or is it all just kind of by feel when you, hit, when you guys get in the studio and you practice, you kind of go it's with the flow? All by, by hear and feel. Um, you know, I can play a lot of things by ear. I just need to hear it once or twice, and I, I can usually pick it up. So that's, that's how I've taught myself. I could, I could practice more by myself, I'll admit it. And you just say during the times like the nation is going through, I know you mentioned like, you know, during the civil unrest and things of that nature, did, did you, any of your musicians, anybody in the circles are planning any like similar benefits or concerts, anything of that nature to make, bring awareness to the current situation and play of the country or anything of that nature may be down in the pipeline? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, my, uh, I'm in several bands, but my band Salvation, um, has a promotion going uh the the music streaming service Bandcamp that a lot of um underground and independent artists use to get their music out there um has been running free fridays where they um you know get a hundred percent uh of donations to the artists and we've been we've been donating uh all of those funds to uh, various organizations, my block, my city, my hood, um, and a few That's others. Not, I'm like a trick daddy song from 2002. <laughs> it's, it's a real organization. It's a community organizing organization in, out of Chicago. <laughs> like the remix of the Tupac. <laughs> no, it's a it's a real organization that helps feed children and um, you know provide uh, resources to the black communities that have been so. Uh, defunded, you know, throughout the uh, throughout the history of the city. So um, every Friday, if you go to bandcamp.com slash Salvation Rock and Roll, you know, any proceeds, you know, debt to downloads or um, T-shirt purchases, uh, every penny we're donating to uh, to those organizations. And I know we talked off the air about, you know, as I told you, my family members uh, have a history and past in Minneapolis. They actually drove up after the George George Floyd incident, uh, mainly because as a relative still there in Minneapolis. But I know that you and some of your colleagues made the effort or considered going to. Con- um, 
I don't know. I think I lost you there. I can't. Can you hear me? Okay. Well, uh, I did. I drove up to Kenosha on my own accord. I was um, I was laid off during quarantine, so you know I've I've been trying to fill my days with playing music, um, writing, and practicing. But um, you know, this Thursday after you know the incidents in Kenosha with peaceful protesters being murdered and um, murderers being allowed to being set free and allowed to cross state lines. I, f- I figured I would take the initiative to drive uh, an hour north and, um, you know, just support the Black Lives Matter movement up there. Uh, I, when, once I got there, you know, I'd, I'd been protesting in Chicago um, the past few months. I just forgot how small Kenosha, Wisconsin actually is. The Black Lives Matter chapter is maybe 25 or 30 people. So, wow. um, you know, there were there were some other activists there from Minneapolis, from the Twin Cities. Um, okay. I think I may have been the only person from Chicago there that day. Uh, but it was the day, you know, after all the unrest, the city, the downtown area, the um, the main square where the courthouse is, the jail, and the uh, city hall building was all covered in ash. Um, and you could feel a tension in the air. There were press everywhere. But we led a peaceful march, a peaceful Black Lives Matter march um, through downtown. Um, and, you know, I, I had to leave before the curfew of 7 p.m. was enacted. So, And, and that's the time that they set it out? Yeah, uh, yeah, I left around 5 because I didn't want to get stuck in Wisconsin. So, <laughs> am, I, am I coming through a little better now, Vic? Yes, I can hear yeah. you now. That's the thing I was going to mention, too, is that I know that there was a, uh, fortunately, due to my work constraints, I couldn't make it, but there was a uh, march also in Bolingbrook, Illinois, in Romeoville today. Um, while, you were there, while you were there in Kenosha, did you have to see any active uh, speech, any active, um, so to speak, like, uh, rallies that were there as far as anybody was our key speaker keynote speaker at all well uh the leader of the black lives matter um contingent in kenosha uh was there you know leading the march uh i can't remember his name right now um but I, uh, literally that morning i was driving around it was um this past monday i was driving around chicago listening to npr and he came on. Uh, he was in. There was an interview with with this man, who's the the head of the Black Lives Matter chapter in Kenosha. And uh, you know, I got a chance to to meet him and march with him. And uh, you know, there were, uh, people were angry. Uh, black community there, uh, be it uh, not not very large, was angry. So uh, yeah, you can. Just, feel the tension yeah but i mean the only person that i can think of uh, can you guys hear me coming through mm-hmm. you guys can hear me? yeah i'm sorry I'm, but the only person i can think of of uh you know in the sports world would be uh nick Granexo, the former laker i know that he in the kenosha area and also always talked about even back then before these things were occurring kind of the uh the civil unrest and we and what is what is it about as far as you know uh, basketball podcast, the NBA. You know, I'm not going to call it a boycott victory because some of the teams were kind no, of. Let's, let's call it what it was. It was a strike. It was a, yeah. a organized 
work stoppage, which is not a boycott. That's a strike. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at it, of course, the Milwaukee Bucks, with that being in Wisconsin, but the team they were playing, Orlando, was already on the court, Victor. A lot of people aren't aware of that in the bubble. That team was already warming up, getting ready for their playoff game. And when they finally got wind of what the Milwaukee did, out of respect, they said, okay. But they are happy with that. I'm sure with the you – know, like we are in America, they're going through the same anxieties, depressions. They're missing their families. Even though they make millions of dollars, they're still human beings. So they're away from their wives, away from their children. And some of these guys have kind of had to defeat mindset, like we're about to go home. Giannis mm-hmm. is about to drop a triple-double and send us home. But now they're telling us we got to wait three days because of a work stoppage that they were not all in agreement with. Because I think you agree that a boycott is something that it's a like-minded agreement of. Um, what, what do you think about the work stoppage in NBA and, and how will that affect some of the ramifications of sports? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't know that. I didn't know that um, not everyone was on board with it. Um, you know, I've only heard about LeBron James' support and uh, um, Chris Paul's support and, the, you know, right. the stars of the NBA. But, um, yeah, I think – I mean, I think it's a good idea. I think that, you know, sports take, is kind of – Taking money away from uh, from television adverti- advertisers and it, it's a great way to to draw attention and I think they did that and uh, I'm not sure what their demands were or what it, what exactly they were looking for but um, the fact that they're getting back to playing in a couple days means that something was negotiated so um, that's you know that's a strike in my opinion and and that's fine they they have the right to do that and I. I respect the autonomy of the NBA. Uh, it's really, you know, a player's league. But it was happening in the WNBA and in MLB. Games were stopped. Um, players walked off the field yesterday. Matt Marlins game. So yeah, absolutely. People were cr- in tears walking off the field. So, um, you know, sports in America is, is a place where uh, African Americans thrive. Um, it's, it's been a it's been an outlet for African Americans to thrive and be successful and um, be be great and not um, you know not have to fear uh, you know being shot in the streets um, in a way to earn generational wealth for their families. So um, you know I, I love the fact that professional athletes are. Are, are also on board with um, the fact that, you know, we need to stop being gunned down in the streets. Hey, I, I love that take, because it, it's just to bring up speed from what I heard this morning uh, from the sources is that the NBA is that some of their owners that are uh, you know, billionaires and millionaires, they are their colleagues of some of the decision makers in the cities in Kenosha, Milwaukee. Uh, the, the Bucks owner may be you know, in some circles with the governor, with the mayor, mm-hmm. and opposed to the whole point, it seemed like from Chris Paul and LeBron James' points, and I'm just saying this through the reporting on CBS and ESPN, is that they want to see things that the local legislation change. Um, sure. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I apologize, I'm not saying it's yeah, right. Okay, yeah. The, uh, you know, where police officers are protected when they shoot someone. I can't think of the, the proper term. Uh, the police union, the fraternal yeah, order. Yeah. Iniquity or whatever it's called, but they want that taken away so they're not 
not basically not held liable for when something happens during these events. Um, sure. And, you know, for, like you said, for the two, the, like I said, I think the whole point was is to, like you said, hit the networks in the pocket where accounts, even mm-hmm. though they're not fans and the fans currently for these events, certainly they need the TV viewership at this time during the pandemic when there's nothing else or no other outlets right. to gain revenue. And again, so even though that, again, people have that effect where they think, okay, the athletes make millions of dollars, they're, you know, they have this platform that they've never want them to, you know, as our uh, said, they want them not to use that narrative. They want them to use the platform for ways to conform. But I think even what you see with the, I don't know if you're familiar with, with the players' tribute, most of the, uh, Derek Jeter from the Yankees actually started that in 2014. It's almost taken the the narrative the sports writers who have been twisting stories for years, as you probably know, and playing false narratives about athletes or personal lives where well, the players have their own outlets. So many NBA, NFL players have their own podcast to sure. tell their own story, not just a network-generated story. That's true, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, aside from that, I mean, just not playing is, is probably better than any podcast or tweet or you know, Instagram posts, it's going to make a, a, a much more significant impact to, to actually have a work stoppage. I, I don't know, calling it a boycott to me, it seems, you know, kind of manipulative in a way and uh, political on the wrong side. I mean, I feel like it was a strike. It was a work stoppage. It wasn't a boycott. I think a boycott would have been if, you know, someone was scheduled to watch those games and that are coming up in a couple of days and it's like, no, I'm not going to watch those games because sure. these people are standing for social justice. I'm going to boycott the NBA. I don't think the NBA players not playing is a boycott. It's a, it's a strike. It's a workshop. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't, I think, yeah, I think the thought hey, behind you them. Yeah. Hey, uh, PS. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. You're right. Um, so, yeah, so I think the point of them uh, calling it a boycott is that usually when people think strike, they think that there's some sort of financial worry or there's some, uh, or just that there's some real division and it's just because of, right. know, and it's just because of salaries or it's just because uh it's, yeah, just because of the number of games. I mean, the NBA's okay. had that uh, sort of hype for a while, like, uh, should they shorten the season, all that sort of stuff. So I think no, you're... That, yeah, calling a boycott, that, uh, that they throw the label right on what the problem that they want to fight. Instead okay. of saying, like, oh, yeah, you know, LeBron just wants to strike because he wants shorter playoff series or something. Uh, no, no. Did you actually see anything with, through your travel? See, uh, through my uh, travel, uh, um, uh, you see, the only thing that I saw, uh, and I have no idea who was in the car. I mean, I assume that they were white, yeah, but I heard some uh, people uh, Wednesday night when I was on uh, one of the main streets there in uh, Green Bay. Yeah, I heard uh, "White Lives Matter" um, yelled from a red, like Ford or a red Chevy. It was one of those sort of wow. sporty cars. Um, uh, but yeah, I heard uh, "White Lives Matter." Now it's not like there was a group of people that I think they were yelling it. 
uh, that I think they were yelling at. I just think they were just yelling it to just, yeah. Just in general? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the same thing if you're around Chicago and you just, you know, just hear someone yell something at someone. I mean, they're not trying to start a fight. They're just uh, being a pain. I think that's what was uh, going on there. Did they get a water bottle thrown at their car? Because I saw um, a lot of that when I was up there. (laughs) You know, I, I can't say I saw that. Um, okay. And then what I will say, though, is, see, uh, for me, I ate at the uh, famous, the famous Hagmeister. Um, and uh, that's where the Green Bay Packers played from 1919 until they moved to Lambeau. Oh, um, I see. But the thing is, now it's a huge uh, bar and grill uh, type area. Um, uh, and the thing is, when uh, I was there, the uh, group of people who was seated behind me, uh, they kept uh, in that. It kept uh, talking about um, the uh, Jacob Blake situation, and then they moved to coronavirus, uh, and uh, they just checked all the boxes for all the conservatives. <laughs> every. Uh, every Re- Republican National Convention box that you could, every RNC box out there. It, it's hard, Matt, because I bet when you're on vacation and you're trying to enjoy your family and enjoy your trip, and you want to kind of have you know positive things around you, you're not there to you know get involved in those type of conversations, but uh, or even to hear those type of things, you know. See, I'm a, in fact, for me, I was more just. Um, uh, silently laughing at them. Uh, in fact, I decided to tweet uh, one of the things that they were saying because um, uh, they were saying about the uh, they were saying with the coronavirus that one of the kids that they got coronavirus, yeah, but he's fine because uh, he's alive. It's like, what? Uh, coronavirus <laughs> worse health uh, sort of effects than just uh, death. Uh, I mean, it's got heart. I mean, uh, there are heart problems, there are lung problems, there are problems uh, beyond those two areas of the body. And it's like, yeah, he's alive, but that's a real poor um, way to say that. Oh, yeah, you know, things are fine. (laughs) Yeah, Um, the the health health ramifications ramifications are are long lasting. We don't, we have no idea yet, Um, you know, how severe. I've heard, I've heard uh, there, there are mental effects. Uh, oh yeah. From, yeah. So, um, Matt, what's your Twitter handle? I'll have to follow you. Let's see, uh, mine will be Matthew N. Wells. Okay. Let's see, uh, but uh, yeah, it's all one word, and um, uh, uh, yeah. Um. Well, I was going to say as well as they uh, started to uh, talk about the uh, Kenosha stuff. And um, I mean, again, they just uh, checked the boxes that the, uh, that the guy should have uh, complied with the cops and that there was more than just the cell phone, video and all this sort of stuff. And um, I'm like, uh, yeah, but you know what? <laughs> See, kind of a close in my head because I wasn't gonna start to argue with a bunch of people. Sure. But 
but in my head, I'm thinking, you know, uh, that's been something that a lot of white people have said for years and years and years. Um, that the guy should have just complied and eh, all this sort of stuff. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, it's clearly more of an... I mean, it's clearly more of an issue than that um, because the stories that you've heard, um, the incidents that you've seen uh, um, between uh, cops and uh, non-white people, um, I mean, it's not like there was a meeting of a... I mean, it's not like there was a meeting of the minds years ago or decades ago that said... Yeah, guys, you know what? When a cop decides to stop us for speeding, uh, that we're just going to be a pain, or that we're just going to really assume that cops are horrible and cops are racist. Um, uh, bear in mind, I'm not saying all cops. Um, uh, just the ones that uh, wind up in these sort of situations. Um, see, uh, but the thing is, it's not like there was a meeting of the minds of like, Hey, we're just gonna make these guys seem racist and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, and my point of saying that is that you know it's—I uh, mean, it's hard to believe if the only thing that would solve this would be you know, guys just complying, uh, because you see compliant uh, people who still wind up being shot, uh, you know, who still wind up being tased enough that they wind up with a heart attack. The, uh, right. who, wind up, who wind up being uh, beaten uh, to an inch of their life, uh, you know, or paralyzed. Uh, but Matt, and, you did uh, the right thing, Matt, by not, uh, you know, arguing yeah. with them. Because, you know, it's an old saying, if, if you if you continue to argue with a fool, people will start wondering who is the fool. So you can't convince somebody against their own mind. But, you know, as, you know, and it's not about understanding or about compliance, Matt, but it's just a simple fact that, you know, in that situation, people are closed-minded to, like you said, things they've never experienced. Uh, if you yeah. grew up in the suburbs or if you grew up in a position of privilege and you never had to worry about, okay, if I get pulled over for a traffic stop, do I have to hold my hands out the window? Or do I have to, you know, where my family grew up at, Matt, for an example, in the South, in Memphis, yeah. Tennessee, and in the deeper parts of Mississippi and Sinatobia, it's yeah. a, it's, it sounds very strange when I tell people in Chicago, Matt, but a lot of African Americans wear their uh, license plate, uh, driver's license, and things in a lanyard on their neck. They have it like as a uh, notification around their neck, and just wear it as that. And so, a lot of people, um, you know, don't want even want to have the chance to reach in their pocket because in fear of thinking that they will be accused of reaching for something. Uh, but you know, yeah. with those individuals, you can't tell them any different. You just have to, like you said, in that situation, especially being out of town just kind of shake your head and nod or maybe add something to the conversation and move on. Um, But Matthew, I was going to ask you too, how do you feel that the, with the game starting tomorrow in the NBA, how do you think that will affect the play as far as NBA goes? We've talked about the the boycott and the stance, but how do you think that will affect the games tomorrow? See, shoot. uh, How do I think they'll affect the games? uh, Like how? I think uh, how uh, do you mean? Yeah, uh, do you mean like since I've not played for a couple of days now? Can you repeat it again, Matt? 
See, uh, do you mean uh, since they've not uh, played for a couple of days? Yeah, yeah, because they're gonna they're gonna restart tomorrow. So the the game is yeah. gonna restart tomorrow on Saturday. Okay. See, oh well, well for me, really, I think that these. Uh, uh, I mean, I think these uh, two or three days will just uh, give them rest. So it's uh, going to be really beneficial for the older guys like. Well, Brian James and uh, Dwight Howard, and uh, guys like that, you know, uh, guys who have uh, been in the league for 15, you know, or 16 years. Uh, um, I mean, really, I think it's why there were so many high-scoring games. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, just there in the games before the playoffs because they were off for so many months. Uh, I mean, sure, they were uh, practicing, but they weren't playing full games. You know, and they uh, really had no preseason. Um, yeah. Uh, and so, really, I think they'll play refreshed. In fact, I think this will work out really well for the Lakers. Yeah, I think it'll work out really well for uh, both uh, Dallas as well as the Clippers. See, um, I mean, really, especially uh, Dallas, you know, since uh, since what uh, Doncic got sort of banged up, and I think uh, Porzingis was held out for a game. Not sure why he was held out, but uh, but I mean I think it's gonna uh, really help him out uh, in the start round too. I mean, yeah, especially uh, for a team like uh, Toronto, the fact that they're not even gonna play for a few more days since uh, they already wrapped up their season, right? So, yeah, I didn't I didn't think about that, Matt. That is a great point. When you have teams like even though Toronto and Boston are playing each other, they do have an extra day of rest or so. How do you feel about the – I know you spoke to me a little bit about some of the other series. How do you think the Mavericks and Clippers series ends up? What do you think the end result will be there? See, uh, really, I thought it was uh, going to be a really hard series for for either team um, before the series started because I thought they yeah, – I really thought that they had a nice uh, balance. I mean, uh, when it comes to LA, they've got so many guys who can uh, defend really well. Then for Dallas, they've got so many offensive. Uh, they've got so many offensive uh, options. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and you know, uh, I still think that the uh, defense wins out. Uh, you know, I still think that the LA Clippers um, move on. Uh, but I think that it'll go at least to six. I mean, um, at the very least, I think it goes to six games, and it might go down to seven games. Yeah, how do you how do you feel about because I I mentioned too, um, I mentioned that you know I thought too it would be like a five game series, and I was totally wrong about that. Um, I was the only thing I was right about was Paul George being able to respond to his critics and to, you know, I think he's a. Uh, you know, a top 10 player to me, I've always thought, Yeah. you know, a lot of people didn't, I know it, it sounds outlandish, um, Matt, and I think, uh, you know, maybe in hindsight I was wrong, but I've always thought that Paul George was the closest thing in the league to Kevin Durant. I know that Kevin Durant, of course, is scoring abilities on another level, but I've had the opportunity to see Paul George play in person a few times in Indiana and in Chicago and before his injury and after his injury, just with his size and his ability, especially offensively, to take over games, especially when he didn't have a lot of talent with him in Indiana. And even when he was in OKC, just the, the way that he was able to fluidly control the ball 
um, I saw a lot of similarities to like a, a little bit of a bigger version of Tracy McGrady. Of course, his scoring prowess maybe not to be to that level, but again, I saw his ability, and of course, he can always step it up on defense. Um, but I just, I just felt like the criticism, and you know, with it being a, a couple of slow days in the league, that that's why the criticism and the ridicule was amplified upon his poor performance. Um, but I think that I think that the I would say the Clippers will win that series in seven. I think that Luca is definitely going to raise his. Uh, raise his brand, you know, amongst, especially, like I said, in the other podcast previously, he's already known around the world because he's been playing professionally since 15 or 16, like many of the international players. But the fact that he's now on this stage, you know, in August, in these circumstances where the whole world is to watch him, I mean, I think that he may be able to elevate his game to some of the elite European players, uh, like a Drazen Petrovic or like, um, yeah. you know, Paige Stojakovic. Uh, Matt, how do you see the other series shaping up um, in the Western Conference between Utah and Denver? Cool. Let's see, uh, one, uh, I'll say that that is so far the best series of the entire playoffs. Uh, because it's just a, been a mano y mano, you know, with uh, Donovan and with uh, Jamal Murray. Um, and that's just been so much fun to watch. Um, uh, I mean, uh, that reminds me of a uh, that reminds me of a classic uh, 1980s or 1990s Western conference game. Yeah, you know, right. like the Suns versus the Sonics or something. The, yeah, the Sonics and the, the Rockets. I mean, it reminds me of those sort of games. You know, um, uh, where it's just one player against one player. You know, and. Uh, and the great thing about Utah is that they've got so much more. They've got Gobert. They've got Mike Conley, who's yeah, been one of my favorite players for his entire career. Um, and uh, I remember seeing him play it out uh, at Ohio State as well. You know, oh, yeah, with Greg Oden. Fan. Yep, with uh, Greg Oden and uh, Daquan Cook. Yeah, the, the <laughs> for, Matt, you reached the former three-point champ, Daquan Cook. Yep, from the Heat. Um, yeah, he, he played for the Bulls for a little bit. Uh, yeah, but let's not really uh <laughs> sound of that part. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 but uh, anyway, um, I mean, uh, the Jazz with uh, Gobert and Mike Conley and uh, Joe Ingles. Uh, I mean, and then uh, Denver with uh, Nikola Jokic. Um, the the real scary thing with uh, Denver is that Nikola Jokic, he's not been the Jokic that we're used to seeing. So I wonder if, you know, this next game, which is what, uh, game five? Yes, sir. I wonder with this next game, if he just goes way off and he scores, you know, and he scores like at 28 and 14 with, you know, nine assists or something like that. Because I could really see that um, starting the uh, Jazz uh, right on the downhill slope to uh, going out of the series. Uh, Matt, it seemed like he did come into his own because if you remember, I think it was game, uh, I believe game three or four, he did hit seven three-pointers. To me, and I asked Bob this on the previous podcast, I like the way that him and you know Jamal Murray teamed up in that first game. And even when Murray had the shootout, it seems like he's been willing to defer his game more for Jamal Murray because he was out for a lot of the season. I know they are also missing Gary Harris. 
oh, you're Michigan State guy. But yeah. it's um, but you know, I, I always look at the big fella down in Orlando, one of my favorite players, Nikola Vucevic. Um, and I know he and uh, he and the Joker play on the national team together. So I think they have been able to grow together. And you know, in the summers, they also work out. And you've seen both their games evolve kind of similarly. Of course, Joker is a great passer, maybe the best passing big man we've seen since Elijah or Vitas Bonus. But it's interesting how, you know, even though Orlando's probably going down in five games, Lucevic is averaging close to 30 points and 12 rebounds. And, you know, and Joker's doing the same. So I wonder if he's kind of referring to Murray, trying to get some of those other guys. I see Paul Millsap seems healthy than he's ever been since he left Atlanta. He's playing very well in this series. Yeah. But, uh, Matt, do you know why? I mean, I know, I know you haven't watched all the series, but they haven't um, – they haven't played a lot of their young guys like they were in the pre-bubble games. Bowl Bowl looked very impressive. And also Michael Porter Jr. Do you think that energy and that youth would help them as well, maybe get over the hump? See, I mean, uh, really, I think it's uh, one of those old uh, constants that uh, that the uh, playoff rotations are shorter in the playoffs. Uh Oh, I mean, and we've seen that for years with uh, Greg uh, Popovich. We've seen with uh, Terry Sloan when uh, he was the Giants coach. I mean, we saw with – see, I mean, um, uh, I mean, yeah, we've seen yeah, just with so many coaches that they shorten their rotations because they don't trust the younger players so much. Um, and so Absolutely. when you've got someone like Jamal Murray – who is killing uh, the Jazz so, so easily. Oh, um, shred him apart, man. See, uh, yeah. And then, uh, like you said, uh, I mean, with Paul Millsap, that he's uh, playing real well. He's got a lot of playoff experience from his uh, Jazz days, then his Hawks yes, days. That's right. And then, of course, yeah, now, I forgot about Utah. He was down there with Al Jefferson in there. See, right? Carlos as well Boozer, as, yeah. As well as uh, Darren Williams. Uh, yeah, uh, he was, uh, yeah, see, I mean, uh, he's played so well and he's had a lot of playoff experience. And, and then, of course, you got uh, Nikola Jokic on uh, Denver, he's got a lot of playoff experience, you know. Um, I mean, uh, and again, uh, Jamal Murray is just, yeah, killing guys. And then, uh, then on the Jazz, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, Conley's uh, playing well again. Uh, I mean, his last game, what, he had, like, uh, 20 points or something. And then you've got uh, Donovan, who's just on a roll. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Gobert. So, uh, I mean, uh, I'm not sure if you uh, – I mean, uh, I'm not sure if you should see a lot of the younger guys through the end of the first series uh, because I think they're just going to go with what sure. works. And clearly what, and clearly what the two teams have – yeah, has worked so far. Uh, you might see more of the younger guys in round two or round three. Yeah, uh, should they go that far? Yeah. Because then they're going to need more of the fresh legs. Right. And Matt, that's what I had simply said earlier too in the previous podcast. I thought, and I know we're kind of getting close to our closing point here, but I just felt like that, you know, in the end, in that series, that I'm a kind of a kind of old school. I'm more of a component of. You know, I know it, we're going to small ball and shooting threes is, is the current trend right now. But going back down low to Joker, I think when it gets down to the crunch time, can you go inside and get a basket? Can you penetrate and get inside? And I think that Jamal Murray's in-between game is good enough for them to do that. Certainly he can pull up from mid-range. Yeah. But I think that's going to be the equalizer. I think that 
Gobert, of course, is a former defensive player of the year and a tremendous player, one of the best bigs in the league. But I think Jokic would overall outplay him. And then I think the other pieces that Denver have around them, some of the other scorers that people forget about, the other guards, Monte Morris, and some of the other uh, forwards will eventually get there. I think that game goes to seven. I think that you, with this rest and some of this other stuff yeah. going on, you may ha- have them, you know, two throwing game sevens. But, of course, in the Eastern Conference, you kind of have a stagnant. You might have, uh, you know, two of the series are over already. While you've got Toronto and Boston already in the second round. But, Matthew, I want to thank you again for joining us on. Of course, we want to thank our, our previous uh, guest, Victor, on this uh, special edition today. This is episode number seven of Bajek and Brown. Look for us this weekend, guys. We, our next show should be Sunday. Uh, Sunday afternoon, we've got a couple more guests. We may have our first international guest as well. So we don't have a set time. But we definitely appreciate you guys joining us on Instagram and Facebook and also continue to uh, download the app. It's a free app, anchor.com. And then you can uh, join our podcast live. You can listen in and also leave your messages to do a voicemail. So we appreciate everybody joining us today. I hope you enjoy the games tomorrow. And again, we continue to ask you to show patience and be prayerful during this time in our nation and continue to help one another understand and be a part of the solution and not the problem. We thank you very much, folks, tonight for joining us. Have a great day. Have a great night. Same for you.